Please take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. It is the story of what is known as the transfiguration of Jesus. And in the middle of this story, there is a a father that shows for us images of what fathers are to be like and therefore the title of the message, The Worth of a Father. As you know, we're living in a world where this is no longer so. Fathers are not anything to write home about anymore in these days. Mark chapter 9. When they came back, the disciples they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, that is Jesus, they were amazed and began running to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams from the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffen out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into the convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can... Do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and meditation in our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As we were singing, we need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see, to help us to see the beauty of the Father of whom we speak this morning. Because only when we follow Christ can we be the Father like the one who fathers us. So open our eyes, open our hearts, And Father, I am quite aware that there are some in this room this morning that cannot think of Dad in a positive way. I pray that, Lord, the word will not get in the way, that their experience will not cause them to, Lord, lose sight of the true Father, our Heavenly Father. I pray for grace for each one. Pray for understanding 
that the Holy Spirit will lead me so that I do not speak carelessly, but speak, Lord, under his control to bring comfort and to declare your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was studying this past week for this morning's message, the news broke out about the father in Orlando who watched as an alligator gripped his little boy, two-year-old boy, at the edge of the water. And as I heard about that, I wondered again, how could this happen? But this, this kind of a situation happens more than we think about it, not so much with an alligator, but in other ways. The father of this little boy, I am quite sure, must have been... I, I can only remember when our little boy was... Uh, I don't know how old he was. I took him to one of the stores in, in Toronto where we lived. And I looked... I, t- I turned around for a moment. And that split moment I turned, he dashed for... for, uh, for um, play things that they had in the, in the shopping mall. And I turned around and I didn't see Christopher and I thought, where did he go? And he was right outside and I gripped him and I said, never leave your dad like that again. If you want to go, ask for permission and I can just imagine what it must have been like. Dr. Tony Evans writes in his book, any man can become a father can father a child, but it takes a man to be a father to a child. Any man can father a child, but it takes a man. I don't remember if it was Heather or with Christopher. I think it was with Christopher because he had what was known as tracheitis in his neck when he was born. And whenever he was going to get ill, his neck would just go over this side and his, his ear would touch his, his neck. And uh, I watched this boy Thursday. Now I have to look up to him and I can hardly imagine that this was a little boy we had to go through this uh, with. But I watched him one, one day. We were sitting on the, on, the, on the Chesterfield and I saw his neck go over and I knew he was going to be ill immediately. And I knew what was going to happen. And he was, he was about, I, I thought, I looked up, a synonym um, for this word because I didn't want to use a word like this on a Sunday morning. Um, uh, but perhaps you will know what he, he, he was going to vomit. And I had no time to do anything but to put my hand out and catch it. I didn't think of it. Just like that father in Orlando. He didn't think about, shall I go and rescue my son? To to, to be there when your son needs you or your daughter needs you, to be able to put your hand out to rescue them. This Father's Day, I assure you that it will not get a third of the attention of Mother's Day. And perhaps there are good reasons for that. 
And when we come to our story this morning, we want to see if we can reverse that because we want to look at a father who did something that fathers don't usually do, especially in the 21st century. I'm going to borrow some of Jewish history to say how a father behaves then and come back to the text. In your outline, you have the celebration of a father. The celebration of a father. Luke tells us he was a father. He was someone who, who gave birth, or his wife gave birth to the child. And it cannot be denied that one of the most significant times in the life of a man who is married to his wife is when there is a birth. In Jewish history, so significant was the birth of a son that when wives who were not able to give birth prayed and asked God to give them the ability to give birth, they would pray for a son. Hannah was one like this. Hannah did not give any child to her husband and she would pray and pray and ask God, please give me a son. In the book of Ruth, when Boaz got married to Ruth, Naomi lived a, a very sad life after her husband died, after they had gone to the land of Moab and came back to Bethlehem. But when her whole, whole life changed, when Ruth gave birth to a son. You see, a son meant the future. I come from a family where there are four girls and myself. My, my half-brother does not bear my name, the Thurton name, but the rest of the children do bear the name Thurton. And so I was my father's first son and four girls after that. And my sisters, uh, for some reason... I am older than they are, but they think they have to take care of me for some reason. And, and so the, the two things they, my sisters wanted to know, I, I got married when I was 32, and they wanted to know, when are you going to get married? When you get married? I used to tell them, I am like Adam, I'm still sleeping, I'm waiting until God opens my eyes and brings Eve they didn't think it was funny because they thought time was running out. <laughs> and then Lois and I gave birth to a son. And I will never forget when I called my sisters and told them, we have a son. They were excited. Now the certain name will continue. <laughs> See, as long as there were four girls, that wasn't going to happen. I mean, they could do it in another way. But a son said something about the future. In fact, so, so, so expectant, so celebratory was the birth of, of Obed, who would give birth to Jesse, that when the women heard that Ruth had given birth to a son, they burst out praising the Lord. He has not left himself without a kinsman redeemer. Now the future gives us hope because there is a son. There is a male child. But I want you to see that the celebration led to the growth. 
but in Jewish culture also, the father usually looks at the son as someone who is going to perpetuate his profession. Whatever the father was doing, he was going to teach the son. When Jesus came before his contemporaries, they looked at him and they identified him with his earthly father. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Because he was being trained in the same profession. In Jewish history, in Jewish culture, the father passes on to his son what he's doing. So imagine this father. After he gave birth, after the birth of his son, he looked to the future. He anticipated what was going to happen to his family, to his family name. And he began, no doubt, to pour into this son some of those things that belong to him, which he received from his father because of the culture. In John chapter 5, when Jesus is confronted by the Jews concerning his identity, listen to how he responded. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own but only what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does. Because the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. The Father loves the Son and shows him. What a a tremendous privilege this is. For the Father takes time to begin to invest in his future by putting his future in his son, in his daughter, as the case may be. The Father was anticipating something that he was sure would take care of his family name in the future. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, you shall therefore lay these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall teach them to your children. The father begins to invest as he watches the child growing. I remember the first time my daughter asked me to help her with her homework. You would have thought I won a million bucks. You know why? I never had a father to teach me my homework, help me with my homework. My mother had only a third grade education, so she did not know. But I was was privileged to be able to say to my daughter, and you know, I'll tell you this. I remember one day Heather asked, Daddy, how do you spell this word? And I spelled it for her. And in two minutes, she came back and she said, Daddy, how do you spell this word? And I spelled it for her. The third time she came, I said, Heather, there's a dictionary in the house. She said, Dad, but that's upstairs. <laughs> but a father teaching his children. This, this father was, was pouring. You will see in a minute was pouring into his child that which he was hopeful would be there later on. See, because there are are two things a father does. The father teaches 
And the father models. You read the book of Proverbs and you'll find a father saying to his son again and again and again, do this, follow this. When Paul was speaking to the Thessalonians, he said that as a father invest his time with his children, so I have been investing my time in you. So the celebration of a father is not only the birth, but the growth. Because what he's going to put into his son. And if it's a daughter, how the father treats his daughter. That is going to come out later on as to how righteousness and salt of the earth is perpetuated because the father is no longer here, but he has invested enough in his children that he knows that it will go on. It will go on. When we were in Belize at Christmas time, and I was taking Lois around to some of the places that I was brought up uh, around, and I, I remember, it, it, I didn't say this then, because I didn't need to, but, but I remember at, at one point, at a place where I, I expressed a little bit of fear because of something that was happening. And I was rebuked by my father. And, and I thought, what a tragedy. This could have been a place of, of tremendous remembrance for good. But unfortunately, it was not there. How important it is, as you will see in a minute, for fathers not only to be there to teach, to instruct, to enlighten, to give some of the benefits of life that he has learned to the son or to the daughter, to the daughter, how she is to look, what kind of a man she is to look for, to the son, what kind of a man he is supposed to be. The birth and the growth. Now back to our text. Back to our text. Look, if you please, with me at the awareness of this father. Look at his concern. He saw his son suffering from an evil spirit. As that, that boy was growing up, the father was able to discern that there's something not really real about this boy. I know this because when Jesus asked him, how long has he been this way? He said, from his youth up. He was no longer a little child. Perhaps he was struggling before, trying to see if he could handle what was happening to his son. The problem was that this boy was not responding any longer to his father. Something else had taken over his life. Perhaps he watched that he was not enjoying being with his dad as he did before. I don't know. We're not told. But we are told that somewhere along the line, the father was able to discern that something is not right in this boy's life. Let me tell you where the tragedy is right here. At this point, at this point, let, let me give you one. I hate needles. I tell you, you have no idea how I hate needles. 
And when Christopher was little and, we had, little and we had to take him back to the hospital and it was time for a needle, I would hand him over to Lois and I would walk out of the room. It is not my thing. But I'm going to tell you something, friends. There's something worse than that. What is worse than that is the father who sees that there is something spiritually wrong with that boy and he doesn't know it. He leaves it to his mother to take care of it. That's what's wrong. It's one thing for me to say I hate needles, but when it comes to what's happening to my son or my daughter, this is not the mother's problem. God said, fathers, you are to teach them. You are to instruct them. You are to give them insight into how to respond to life. In 1992, in this, the, the World Olympics taking place in Barcelona, Spain, a very interesting thing happened. I, listen, listen as I read it. I'll try not to be too long with it. Everybody was ready with the race, says the writer. There was a name there in, in taking pl place in the race that nobody knew before. And everybody has come to know after the race, not because he won the race, but listen to how it happened. His name is Derek Redman. The race he's known for wasn't even a final. Although he was favored to win a medal, should he have, won, have made it that far? But he didn't. So his, his own no Olympic medal, he won no Olympic medal at all. No world record. In fact, he doesn't even hold a national record. But what Derek Redmond did when he ran that hot summer day in Spain impacted millions, both then and since then. I'm not sure that you watched the footage as I did. I've watched it many times. The gun went off. Eric was, uh, Derek was, was ahead of everybody. Then suddenly, he stopped. He grabbed the back of his leg. Excruciating pain ran down his legs, hoping, hoping that it would stop. Drooping to the ground on knees, next laying flat on his back on the field while others were passing him. Tears cascaded down his eyes threatening to betray how much he wanted to win this race. This was his race. This was his best chance at an Olympic medal. This was what he had trained for every day of his, of his life for years leading up to the Games. This was his time. And yet, this was his tragedy as well. Some of the security people tried to get him to get off the road, uh, the, 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 the trail, he fought them off. He tried his best, trying his best to see if he could make it to the finishing line. He knew he would not win the, ra win the race, but he, wanted, he at least wanted to finish. He couldn't. Suddenly, someone dashed, wearing a red cap from the stands, put his arms around him, gave his leg to his leg. 
it was his father. His father saw that his son would not be able to make the race, finish the race, and he jumped over everybody to go down on the field to put his arms around his son and help him to finish the race. He was there. He saw his son pain, excruciating pain. And oh, how often, friends, how often, especially in the 21st century, fathers see the pains in their children, but they are too busy to say, I want to take time to get to know where the pain is, what is the cause of the pain, and what does it take to help him to finish? That's the awareness of the father. That's why he knew that from a child it happened, because he was there. He was conscious of what was happening in the boy's life. He was conscious that something was wrong. Because he was not too busy. Please understand me when I say this. It is possible for us as father to be so busy making a living that we do not know how to teach our children to live. It is possible. It has happened, my friends, all over the world. But the one place it should never happen is the Christian home. It's the Christian church. I, I think, you know, I'm struggling to say this. I, I think that one of the person who used to be called America's father, Bill Cosby, nobody thinks of him that way anymore. Because he was not really a father. He was an opportunist. And when we are aware of the pains of our children, fathers, we cannot afford to leave it to their mothers. We must make sure that with them we know how to jump over fences, over people, to rescue our sons and our daughters from the wiles of the devil that seeks to grab them as early, especially these days where kids are being taught about, about alternate living in kindergarten. Fathers need to be there, not only mothers. The awareness of a father. Look at the action on behalf of the son. Look at the action. Mark 19. I brought him to you. I brought him to you. Nothing could stop him from taking the problem to Jesus. But may I say again, dear friends, that if we leave the praying to the mothers, fathers, we will miss out on the joys of the victories 
If we leave the praying to the mothers, God will be satisfied with them, but not with you. Job gives us, in Job chapter 1, verse 5, when his children would have their birthday parties, Job wasn't invited. This is for the teenagers, Dad, not for you. And instead of going home sulking, you know what Job would do? Job would go to his closet and he would pray for his children, for his sons, and for his daughters. And he says, perhaps they have sinned against God. And I want to, I want to be a pastor to my children in my home. I want to be a priest to my children. And so Job prayed for his children, the action he took. And my friends, today we have been, we have been seduced by a foreign spirit which says that praying is just for women and for children and not for men and not for fathers. And so we have more women in a prayer meeting than we have fathers. And the text says this man, as a father, took his son to God. We are embarrassed to pray as fathers. Job's son would take turns, and the more they took turn to celebrate, the more Job would pray. Ladies and gentlemen, we're living in difficult times. And may I suggest to you that perhaps the greatest need of this hour, you know, excuse me, I'm a Canadian, so you'll forgive me. Do you want your son to be like Donald Trump? A man that has no respect for anything except for himself? I am very serious when I say that. He is not the model for your son or for your daughter. The model you want is a man who understands what it's like to live in God's world and to go to God on their behalf so that God is going to shape them by what model they put before them because the father who walks in his integrity, the scripture says, how blessed are his children after him. The father must be walking in integrity so that what the son or the daughter will model will be that which gives them a sense of security This is the way my dad did it. This is the way dad, as Hudson Taylor's son said, again and again in the morning before the sun rose, I would hear my father, Hudson Taylor, praying, praying for the Chinese people, praying for his family. And my friends, this is what Job did. This is the action this father did. He was not ashamed to let other men know that he was praying. That's why he went to the disciples. He was not embarrassed to say he was a praying father. He realized that the greatest gift that God had given to him was the gift of a son. And the future of that son depended upon his prayer life. What a a privilege. And I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with you, fathers, because I didn't have a father that did that. And I don't want to talk about my father. He's dead. But I have, 
I have zero good memories about my own father. Zero. He died at the age of 33 from drinking. And anything I knew before that, I used to sing. <laughs> and I won a singing contest. And he took me to the bar to sing for the men that were there. Those are the memories I have of my father. I don't have a, and I want my children to remember me as a father who prayed for them. Now, I remember when Heather wanted to go to her first high school dance. I hadn't a good reason to tell her no. I hadn't a good reason. So I sat her down. And interestingly, she had a friend with her, friend up to this day. This friend was Heather's high school friend. They've been friends all through high school to this very day. And when we were in Toronto, she heard I was going to be in Toronto, and she drove from where she was to come and, and be with her second dad, as she called me. And I sat them both, and I said, you know what your mother and I think about high school dances? So I gave her the riot act. Don't do this, don't do that. Uh, I mean, everything there. I said, now, Heather and Sean, when you get to the dance, if you find out you don't want to be there, call me and I'll come and get you. They were gone 15 minutes and the phone rang. Please come and get us. And I was there in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but what a privilege, friends, when your children believe that they can trust your judgment, that once you instruct them they are willing to take what you're putting into them. This is why Lot's children, Lot's children didn't take him seriously in public because he didn't take God seriously in his home. When he told them of judgment, they thought, huh, big deal. But they never saw Lot living. But oh God, help us that we so model for our children our prayer life as fathers so that they will marry men if they're girls who are praying men and they'll be praying fathers when they get in their own environment. I, 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 you know, I joke about saying that we'll have a guest speaker here on next week. But I tremble, I literally tremble to think that my son is apparently going into the ministry. I tremble. And what I want to make sure is that I leave him a model that if he does, he will be able to say, this is what dad would do. And even now, at certain points, he calls some Seattle, Dad, what do you think of this? He's having trouble with a text. He will call his dad and say, Dad, what do you think of this text? Am I handled it correctly? He only does that, friends, because of the grace of God that God has given to Lois and me to model for our children what they're involved in today. This is a very hard message for me to preach, as you can tell. But I want you to see, thirdly and lastly, the confession of a father the confession of a father. In verses 23 and 24, 
the failure of the disciples to meet the need of the Father did not stop him from going to where he wanted to go. The Father brought the Son to Jesus, but Jesus wasn't there, so he thought, I'll take the disciples. And the disciples were not able to respond. But that didn't stop him from pursuing what was needed. And how often this happens, somebody gets between us and Jesus, and we don't get to Jesus because of what they have done or have not done. This is what we see in the story. The father was involved in the need of his son, and the question Jesus asked reveals something of the battle that was raging with him because he was able to discern the nature of his son's problem. He is, in, he is in, in, possessed of a, a, an evil spirit. The father was able to say, this is where the problem is, and so I'm going to take him to Jesus. And so listen to how he confessed to Jesus. If you can do anything, have mercy on us. I spent a lot of time on that phrase, if you can do anything. He didn't say, if you will. He said, if you can. So was he saying that the spirit with which this boy is, is possessed is so powerful? And if you can do anything about it, help us? You see, somehow there was with this father, he was struggling with his own faith. He prayed, but he wasn't too sure that this was the best way to pray. If you can do anything. This father went to prayer, right direction. But Jesus is going to teach us something of what a father needs to know when it comes to praying. That when, a fa- when it comes to praying, when it comes to dealing with issues as intense as this father was dealing with, Jesus is saying, don't come with half your heart. Don't come saying if you can. See, James says, when we pray, when we ask God, ask in faith without doubting. Don't be double-minded. I think he can. I think he won't. I think he can. No. Come with absolute confidence. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Let not the men who comes doubting with a double mind. That's what the word means, wavering. Don't let him think he's going to get anything from God. If he's going to work through this whole process with what his son is going through, he will have to go with a faith that is unwavering, a faith that is absolute rooted and grounded in one who is more powerful than that which possesses his son. See, some prayers we can say, bless this child, bless this home. But there are other prayers, my friends, that we must say, oh God, unless you do something about it, I don't know anyone else who can. There is no question in my mind that the only answer to this is is, is God's answer. I can't go to say, I'm going to (laughs) pray. I heard of a man who was praying, praying that the mountain might be removed because the scripture says, if you pray, this mountain will be removed. And he prayed and asked God to move the mountain. And when he opened his eyes, the mountain was still there. And he said, just like I thought. (laughs) He didn't pray believing that the mountain would move. He simply prayed because he was told to pray that the mountain might be removed. 
And so, my friends, when we read a text like this, listen to what Jesus said to this man. If you can believe God, all things are possible. There is a world out there that a believing father can put before his children when he has an unwavering faith in God with whom there is no thing impossible. Nothing. This is what Jesus said to the man. He said, if you can do anything, Jesus, Jesus said, if you can believe. <laughs> you see, because he was not all there. He, 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 was, he was not giving himself. He was not surrendering all his thoughts, all, all his imagination to God. My friends, when you're dealing with spiritual problems and you're dealing especially when the devil is, is, is seeking as he was here, to destroy this life, it will take more than, Lord, bless us. It will take agonizing prayer. It will take prayers, my friends, that, that, that takes you into the, into the battlefield, into the war zone. And the only thing that will get you through that is God with whom nothing is impossible. You can't go there half-heartedly. He who asks God must ask in faith, not wavering. And this, son, this father was wavering. That is good. That's good. Because, my friends, when we go wavering to God, God is going to help us to remove, to remove all the bandages, all the blindfolds. This is what happens. Listen to what he says. Help my unbelief. <laughs> the only person that can clear up the fog in prayer for us is when we begin to see Jesus as he is. He had just come from the mountain. There was this sense of, of the glory of God there. And Jesus singles this man out. Now brings him face to face with him. And when this man realized where his real problem was, that his problem was not the disciples, his problem was not the culture, his problem was not even the, 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 the spirit with which the son was possessed. The problem was his own unbelief. And he cries out to God, help my unbelief. Now I see that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. We went to the doctor in, on Friday. And, and before I left, I thought, I don't know what to expect here. I don't know. Uh, Lois had her bag packed, just in case they said, You're gonna, we're going to go to surgery right away. And so my preparation was a book. <laughs> so I pulled down a book by C.S. Lewis, and I thought, I'm going to take this with me. And of all the chapter my eyes landed on in that book, book titled Christian Reflection, C.S. Lewis on when prayer becomes a problem. And I spent the day reading through that chapter, the day, because it was not easy to read. And C.S. Lewis said something about prayers like this. He said, when we come to prayer, when Jesus offers us what our minds can, can misinterpret, such as moving this mountain... When we come to prayers like this, when Jesus said, all things are possible, 
how do we handle things like this? And C.S. Lewis said something that was quite interesting to me. He said, when we come to prayer and prayer becomes difficult, faith in prayer, the prayer of faith, does not simply look to God to do what it is asking. But faith prayer leaves it to God to do what he wants to do. You see, there are times when when we say, this is a difficult situation. We're praying, and you are praying. You are praying that God will perform a miracle in my wife's life. That the aneurysm will disappear when the doctor looks at it on the screen. Well, when we got there Friday morning and he put the screen up, it was still there. But that has nothing to do with God. See, because knowing the sovereignty of God, whether he uses the doctor to go through the process or whether she speaks the word by fiat and it is gone, either way it is God. And what C.S. Lewis is saying, that when we pray, your will be done in our prayers, we are saying, God, we don't know what your will is. But supposing your will is to deny the thing but sustain us so that we keep believing in you, or whether your will is to remove the thing so we will give you thanks, either way we're looking to you. And we don't always understand how God answers prayer. But Jesus said to this father, if you can believe, all things are possible. And that word, my friends, means more than just being healed. That word means that you can take whatever answer God gives because that's his will. That's what Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. Father, if it is possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will. Jesus prayed that. And I have heard people, Christian friends of mine, rebuking others who pray that way. Oh, it's because you don't have enough faith. Well, you know, I have found something, and I'll close with this. People who say that you don't have enough faith to believe God to do something is missing a very important point. Because every place where someone went to Jesus, the key, Jesus said, he saw their faith and healed the person. He saw their faith and he healed the person. It is not that you don't have enough faith. And so if you don't have enough faith, then the person who goes to God must have the faith so God can use their faith to heal you. That's not the way it works, friends. There are times when he, he sees fit to heal and he gets the glory. And there are times when he takes you through the process and that is also his will. And you can rest in the fact that he's in control of either. That's, my friends, the role of a father. A father who celebrates the birth of his children. Who is aware of the needs of his children. And a father who takes the action to God on the behalf of his house.
as it is said of Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let us pray. Father, I confess to you that I feel almost like I was scolding this morning. But you know that that is not my intention at all. I just long to see men battling Satan. That's what John said. I write to you, fathers, because you are strong. And I write to you, young men, because you overcome the devil. So this is my desire this morning. Oh, God, not to be content with just talking about other things, but that men will have the vocabulary of heaven. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Raise up from this congregation, Lord, few as we are this morning, raise up praying fathers so that the future will be left in the hands of children who were prayed for and not with children who were ignored. I thank you again. I pray that you will take from this word, Lord, that which is yours. And if anything was simply from me, may it fade from our minds and may only that which God wants us to remember be remembered, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.